0: One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states.
1: Hello, I'm Anoush. And I'm Armando. In this episode of Westminster Reimagined, we'll be joined by May Dobbs, political campaigner and digital strategist, and James Ball, investigative journalist and author of Post-Truth, How Bullshit Conquered the World. Both have tracked the rise of post-truth and misinformation and can give us an insight into the effect it's having on our politics. We ask if the UK is now fully in a post-truth world and how we can counter it. Now, Armando, I was looking this up. I thought the term post-truth politics was first applied to Britain during the EU referendum campaign when we had all of those sort of souped-up promises from the Leave camp. But actually, it was in the run-up to the Scottish independence referendum, which I do remember as quite nasty. I remember Nick Robinson, who was then BBC political editor, had to hire a bodyguard. And you had a lot of accusations of lies on both sides.
2: I remember that's the start of a very worrying trend we're seeing in politics in the UK – Which is when a journalist asks a particularly pointed question at a politician, that politician's supporters just boo and harass the journalist. Mm. And that's not something I ever expected to see in Britain. We claim to be the mother of all democracies. I don't think we are. (laughs) <laughs> and and so <laughs> and pr- 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 providers and protectors the of the father above so yes yeah, so that so your mis- mistake about the your belief that it was actually to do with the referendum on brexit is actually a post-hoc post-truth <laughs> assumption because it did start earlier and from what from memory i think it was one of those things that donald trump Used against his enemies once he was criticized for doing it himself. Because I think in, initially, the idea, the label post-truth "or, or, uh, or fake news, actually, was put as to him. And then he used that uh, phrase to turn it against his enemies. So now anything his enemies say, fake news. And we're now, depending on when this podcast goes out and whether we have a functioning democracy at the time of listening or not, or indeed a functioning prime minister at the time of listening, we're now in the situation where if anyone criticises anything – about economic policy were part of the anti-growth coalition, which doesn't exist as an organisation. I'm sure a few of them have registered it now, just to prove a point. And again, it's this build-up of the idea of something you believe being as valid as something that is factually true. That if you think something is happening, that's just as right as that thing actually happening. And therefore, there is no need for evidence to back up your assumption and your belief.
1: Yes. And anyone countering you is doing it in bad faith and lying. And they're the woke brigade or the metropolitan elite or some other sort of nebulous blob, like you say, that doesn't really exist.
2: Yes. And so my concern now is, have we reached that point where that, you know, that singularity where we can't go back that that mainstream media, to give it that terrible phrase, has now been so undermined that actually we can't believe anything that we read and see and hear and then know what to do, do. So strap yourselves in for a very bleak half hour.
1: And before we get to our guests on this episode, we spoke to the former BBC chief creative officer, Pat Young, Pat spoke at the Edinburgh International TV Festival recently about how the BBC is under threat from a post-truth, post-evidence government. And we asked him what he meant by that and what it can do about it.
3: What I meant by that is that we find ourselves in a situation where we are providing evidence to support the positions that we take. And we're dealing with a government that runs a consultation exercise, for example, on Channel 4. 96% of the responses are against privatising Channel 4. And the government says, well, despite that, we still think we'll go ahead and, and privatise Channel 4. There is, there is no reference to the evidence. I think the problem for us, I mean, we're British, so we play by the rules. And so mm. I guess us, us liberals, we say, well, we'll take part in the process and, and we'll engage. And they're tearing up the rule book, mm. left, right and centre. So what I was trying to say at Edinburgh was we've got to do more than this. We can't rely... On the evidence speaking for itself, because these people are ignoring the evidence and the evidence is inconvenient. We live in a, a system, we have a set of broadcasting regulations which put a lot of power hmm. in very few hands. And we relied hitherto on this British sense of fair play. And I think what we're seeing with the, with the current government is that no longer applies. I mean, they're taking a lot of their cues for what's happened in America, um, undermine the media undermine people's trust in the bbc and and other news sources uh and then it's just opinion and as we've heard in the brexit debate it's just one opinion amongst many
2: but what can public service broadcasters do other than play fair in the moment they they try and be more i don't know aggressive or unfair obviously you know that's going to come in for a lot of criticism they're kind of hampered in what they're able to do.
3: They are and they aren't. I mean, I think Emily Maitlis caught this well at Edinburgh where she said basically got, you know, in, in a mask, she said, get your balls back. One man saying that the earth is flat and science saying the earth is round. You don't have to give equal time to the man that says the earth is flat. Give him time in proportion to the validity of his opinion and if it's opinion, you just call it an opinion. I think, you know, you have to ask ourselves why was Nigel Farage the most frequent guest on Question Time? There was this fear that if we don't satisfy that community, that agenda, we're going to be criticised. Well, in proportion to all the other elected representatives in the country, he had massive over overrepresentation. Yes, and so they got to, they got to get their balls back. They got to sort of they know what impartiality is. Yes. Yeah, we study it hard. They need to believe in it and execute it. In this part
2: of this wider discussion on post-truth, what can the BBC and and ITV and Channel 4, you know, our our kind of free-to-air networks do to kind of counter the threat to (laughs) evidence-based reporting?
3: Well, I think there's a couple of things. So First of all, I think the government does have to legislate on this rather technical-sounding issue called due prominence, which means... That the public service broadcasters, which includes ITV, Channel 4, Channel 5, have to be given due prominence on any platform. So whether you access services via Amazon or any of these other aggregators, you have to be able to find them very quickly. And why is that important? Because I think with our overall news regulatory environment, it means the mass of people will get access to unbiased news, information, and comment, which will allow them to take decisions and engage in an informed democracy. And you only have to look at America, where most news consumption is via proprietary channels on cable, where MSNBC takes the left wing position and CNN, until recently, took sort of the center left position and Fox take the hard right position, which is why 70% of Republicans who all watch Fox News believe the election was stolen, that Obama was born in Africa. There is a reason we don't have that here. And that's because, to date, the prominence of our PSBs. And so we need to make sure that due prominence continues into the new environment. So that is something that a new Secretary of State has to address quickly, because it's the, it's the ecosystem, it's the, it's the environment. Mark Thompson used to call it a digital public space, which we can all engage in and get trusted information. Uh, and the internet and these big tech platforms have changed that space. Um, and we need to sort of get some regulation that provides people with trusted news and comment.
1: Now, I'm so pleased that we're joined by two very special guests, two activists who've been at the coalface of our post-truth world. May Dobbs is a political consultant who's worked on six national level elections across the globe, including working with the Labour Party in the UK, working on Anna Sawa's Scottish Labour leadership campaign and on both Barack Obama and Joe Biden's presidential bids in the US. She's seen how social media was used by all extremes in the US elections and specialises in countering online misinformation that can infect our democratic processes.
2: And James Ball is an investigative journalist and reporter. At WikiLeaks, he was closely involved in Cablegate, the release of 250,000 classified US embassy cables. And at The Guardian, he worked on the coverage of the NSA leaks by Edward Snowden. He's also written a book, Post-Truth, How Bullshit Conquered the World. Welcome both. I painted a bleak picture. Am I just scratching the surface?
4: Yeah. I, 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 oh, dear. Oh. I, I wrote Post Truth in 2017 and everything's got a lot worse since then. So I I think it's got like this because we let it. It's got like this because we were complacent. And I think part of it is we think fake news and Post Truth happens to other people As we get polarised, as we get angry, it happens to us. There is plenty of madness and misinformation on the left, and there is plenty in the Mm centre. And it's almost more dangerous in the centre because centrists, in my experience, are very convinced that they're the sensible, measured ones while coming out often with lunacy. Oh, go on. So, is, that, is, that is
1: that the government crashed the pound on purpose? Yeah, that sort is? of stuff yeah.
4: like it's a hedge fund conspiracy or <laughs> Tufton Street control. People, there's a lot of red string, or to be honest, there was some massive nefarious plot to vote Brexit mm. rather than sometimes people vote differently to how you want. And I think what's sort of getting deeper is each of us engages with this sort of mad conspiratorial world where everyone who disagrees with us is either being duped or is evil. And so no one's talking to each other anymore. Everyone's shouting incoherently. We
2: build up this yeah. our own kind of conspiracy that there is this world of post-truth that people are purposely...
4: That the post-truth world is to. Russia's fault or yes. is X's mm. fault. Or is, and it's actually it's part of our circumstances. It's that we're poorer than we were. We're alienated. We're... But actually, we frame the discussion of post-truth as if it's someone evil or malign behind it, mm-hmm. which it's entrenches the problem. Mm-hmm. But in America, it yeah. is someone evil, is
0: <laughs> Or is
2: that... Yeah. It's up Joe Biden. Signals?
0: Yeah, of course. He's part of the cabal. Um. I actually think there is there's something nefarious behind all of this stuff happening. And it's not any one politician on one side or the other, but it's the social platforms that we all get our information from. I have seen this starting from 2007 when I worked on my first ever political campaign as a student organizer. We were using Facebook as this like lovely ideal of what social media should be, connecting people and organizing and getting people to come to rallies and knock on doors. And that was great. And then in 2020, when I worked on my, my most recent presidential campaign, it was an absolute horror show, nightmare. And that didn't just happen because people got worse in the past 15 years. It happened because the social platforms are literally built that way. They want people to be angry. They want people to be upset because They spend longer online when they are. When they're upset, they engage. Engage is a nice way of saying it. They argue, they get into fights online, and then they spend hours and hours. And because of that, Facebook and the like can sell more adverts. They make more money. And so maybe that sounds like a bit of a conspiracy, but Facebook have said it. They basically said the longer people spend online, the more money we make. And the more angry people are, the longer they spend online. And it just makes it worse and worse. So I think there is a bit of a nefarious force behind it. And it's the platforms we use to get the information, which are causing all those problems.
4: The, the incentives suck for everyone. Yes. CNN rated way yes. better under Trump than it is it's under true. Biden. There is money in courting the controversy while looking respectable. There's a lot in it for politicians. They can crest this kind of populism for quite easy Victories, even for quite mediocre or actively bad politicians. And so you've got this world where actually political incentives and financial incentives. I'm much more on the side of the nonsense. Not well,
2: and you're right when you say we, we're part of the problem. I caught myself just the other day nearly getting sucked into it when the only social media I use is Twitter. And that, which doesn't, <laughs> excuse
1: me. Yeah.
4: The <laughs> 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 doesn't excuse me the
2: slightest. And somebody tweeted, did I hear Therese Coffey on the Today programme saying poor people is not as poor as they think. And I was all set to retweet this when I thought, no, hang on. Mm. (laughs) did she say that and it turns out she didn't say it but by then you could see there was a whole chain of retweeting that almost
4: became established fact that by the end of the day many people believe that's what she said I wrote post-truth I present a podcast about conspiracy theories and last week I basically started a conspiracy theory. Um, Deliberately or no. <laughs> yeah. Liz Truss gave her conference speech and she was wearing a quite distinctive dress. Declan Cashin, a guy I used to work with, noticed that it was what Emma Thompson wore in the Russell T. Davies drama Years and Years. And because of the way my mind works, I immediately recognised the wood panelling and realised that it was from a scene where it's quite a chilling scene. She quite yeah. jovially presents to investors setting up UK concentration camps. Mm. I went, oh, wow. Coincidences happened, but it's not just the populist dress. It's from where she's literally setting up concentration camps. <laughs> Yikes. And sort of realised I didn't want to set people off too much, immediately replied to my own tweet going... For the record, I absolutely do (laughs) not think this was deliberate. (laughs) And, of course, the first tweet has a couple of thousand likes, retweets, etc. And loads of them are people going, mad, liberal, conspiracy, nonsense, Mm -hmm. brain worms. And the second tweet's got about 20 retweets. I I literally just, I tried. but I was a fool. (laughs) (laughs) But given that
2: we're all fools, how far are politicians prepared? To, to push it. You've been at the
0: yes. you've been
2: electoral election uh, campaigns yeah, in the States.
0: They are willing to push it as far as they have to win, unfortunately. I'm working right now on the midterm elections in the US and working against one candidate who said that he was in the military, touted it, not just, oh, by the way, I was in the military. It was part of his platform. And of course, it came out that he wasn't in the and military. He's saying
4: it's classified now, yes. is he? Yes, yeah. <laughs>
0: exactly. Now, now it's, oh, well, we can't know if I was actually there because it's all classified. But if it was classified, it would just say classified, mm-hmm. not missing information. And then so on our side of the camp, we're trying to just tell people, hey, this guy is lying. You should know that. So you shouldn't maybe vote for him or consider it. And then, of course, in all the comment sections, it just know you are lying mm-hmm. because he actually was. And like, why are you <laughs> trying to stop our great veterans from talking about it? But the other side knows that they can get away with it because they see the same comments that we're seeing. Mm-hmm. And so they just keep going and going and going. And there's no consequences. Well, that's what I wanted to ask you. Yeah. How
1: do you counter it? Because clearly... You- you've had some success in some of the political campaigns that you've worked on in this kind of environment. Yeah, Did millions of fake ballots help?
0: (laughs) Yeah, those were (laughs) instrumental. (laughs) Oh God, that's going to get clipped, isn't it?
1: I've done it again. Stop it! (laughs)
0: Left and right starting conspiracy theories. Yeah, it's tough. It's really tough. And one of the other things that has happened in the age of social media campaigning is that things happen so quickly, like your accidental conspiracy theory, it could have been one minute later. And all of a sudden, now everyone has seen it, the retweets have happened. And so what we were seeing a lot on the Biden campaign was Donald Trump would tweet something inane, wrong, not true. And an hour later, I was seeing it in the comment section on Joe Biden's Facebook feed. And how do you counteract that? How do you intercept something that happens at the speed of light? And so we, what we tried to do on the campaign was set up Joe Biden's character, and and make people understand him as a person to say, no, I don't think he's a pedophile, for instance, because I understand Joe Biden as a good person and a family man. We tried to hammer home on just him as a person and these like kind of personal truths about him, rather than counteracting every single conspiracy
2: mm. theory. Yes, because if you mention the conspiracy yes. even to rebut it, you're mentioning it again. Exactly. Right. It
0: helps
4: that Biden's quite an authentic character. I mean, you know, he. I covered him in the 2012 race mm-hmm. and all the things that people put down to dementia. Except he gets names wrong. He flubs all the time. He's he's done that. But it means that it's hard to imagine there being a front or, a, mm-hmm. you know, is part of it this sense yes, that that's no you are,
2: you're not what, looking at a master criminal. Yeah, when you're you looking
4: can't at not bike. a certain kind of authenticity. And yes. the downsides of that are the, the gaffes. But the upsides are people don't go, I think there's some secret second thing behind yeah. it.
0: Yeah. And I think that's what Trump supporters like about him as well. He seems very authentic. I don't think he has a filter on his mouth. He will say anything that pops into his mind. So I think, yeah, that's the kind of 21st century voter just wants that authenticity, because then they feel like they can trust them. And they trust so few things in the world now. They don't trust the media. They don't trust their government. But if they feel like that person is authentic, they can trust them. I think that's why both Biden and Trump were so successful.
2: Well, it's emotive politics, isn't it? If yeah. People aren't really necessarily interested in the policies unless they chime with what they believe but they're not asking for can we see the financial workings out behind the policies can we see how you would implement the policies mm-hmm. it's just like what do you believe if you believe the same as I believe
4: then I'll vote for you they do have manifestos in the US it's nuts like yeah. they, yes. yeah it's so weird here I'm not about to I'm not about to go UK politics are sane and reasonable because look at UK <laughs> politics but you know, for you, a UK election campaign, you'll have like health policy day, education policy day, sort of stuff like that. They, they yes. still roll out like America is stump speech. And it's yeah. the same speech said 500 times over three. It's really odd.
1: Hi, Anoush here. We've got a special offer for Westminster Reimagined listeners. You can subscribe to the New Statesman for just a pound a week for 12 weeks. Just go to newstatesman.com forward slash podcast offer. And you can check out all our podcasts, including Audio Long Reads and World Review, at newstatesman.com forward slash podcasts. We'll be right back. From the New Statesman comes World Review, a twice-weekly international news podcast. From Ukraine to Brazil, DC to China, we cover the stories that matter in a world that's constantly changing. Every Monday, we interview a guest for their unique perspective and expertise. And then later in the week, we come together to unpack some of the most significant stories in world affairs. Join us. Just search World Review wherever you get your podcasts.
2: you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. But so here we are in a climate and one of our other Podcast will be looking at whether uh, British pro- politics has become too presidential. Because here we are in the middle of various leadership challenges and crises. Mm-hmm. When we have someone who's not elected on the basis of a manifesto, but on a very small electorate of Tory members, implementing policies that everyone thinks is wrong. Well, is she implementing them? <laughs> by You've the, got t- the here. By, by, <laughs> by the time this goes out, that may <laughs> well have changed. But we're at a situation where we're in the UK. I think where where joining this new tradition of implementing politics by emotion. The leadership campaign was conducted via Instagram, really. It was all shots of people looking yes. prime ministerial, mm-hmm. really, on a tank and in front of children and mm-hmm. by a hospital rather than saying... What's
0: and she doing, doing
4: with so. a tank in front of children? That's just <laughs> weird, Amanda. It's another That's conspiracy. Bad. Yeah,
0: No, I really think I've had this discussion with a lot of politicians in the UK and the work I've done. And I say, oh, we did this in the Biden campaign or whatever and say, oh, why don't we try this? It worked really well. And they always say, oh, no, that wouldn't work here. Exactly what you were saying. It's a lot less based on emotion. And I- I disagree yeah. fully. It's not.
1: I think that's true because a lot yeah. of what people say now is Britain is ready for a boring prime minister. And that's in order to try and paint Keir Starmer's sort of limitedly, <laughs> limited presentational skills in a positive Captain light. Charisma himself, yeah. <laughs> And I can see the intellectual argument behind that, but I just don't think it's true because humans are humans. And our gut feeling is to be attracted to charisma. And he's trying to lean into this sort of boring dad image of himself and maybe some of the authenticity of what we were talking about might come through and appeal to people. But the idea of just being boring in itself, I just don't think that works here just as it doesn't work
0: in the US. Is that something that you found with the people you've
1: spoken to? definitely, for
0: sure. And I think because everything happens on social media these days. Mm -hmm. Social media, they are all platforms for authenticity. You are meant to show your true self. That is why they were invented. And it's very similar, I think, in looking back in the 1960s, the very classic Nixon versus JFK presidential debate, the first televised debate, and you look at JFK, and he's very suave and charismatic, Mm -hmm. and that works well for television. Whereas on social media now, the very blunt delivery of a Donald Trump works really well on Twitter. And I think we're seeing that same development over time, where from the 1960s, 1960s to the 1990s charisma and polished was great yeah. for television that's what people wanted now people want authenticity in real stories and like real voices yeah because now
1: slickness is being it's slick, slick yes. is an insult yes isn't it? Yeah. and yet
4: it's amazing how often people do it I, I sort of when the polls were far less good for labor i spoke to a pollster and he said that, as he saw it, the issue with Keir Starmer was he felt like someone who would focus group whether to piss standing up or sitting down, <laughs> just totally trying to message and shape and be who he was expected mm. to. And maybe because there is so much polarisation and fake news and whatever, people want someone who they think can't lie to them, not even necessarily won't. I think we've hit a cynicism where no one really trusts anyone. But if you get the impression someone runs off their mouth or someone just doesn't really have a filter, that's a substitute for trust. Mm-hmm. Whereas polish, people just really, it doesn't work at the moment. And yet everyone still tries it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's these sort of, you know, I'm the adult, I'm the sensible one. And it's all, we've reeled from crisis to crisis <laughs> yeah. to crisis. So uh, is it's that, working for is it, that a
2: kind of glimmer of hope then that actually somehow we've achieved a kind of herd immunity against lies and that we're now beginning to have the strength to determine whether someone is speaking truth or I not. I think
4: we need to shift authority to authenticity. It used to be the newsreader was from South East England, six social classes above me, it had a nice tie, nice tie, nice accent and would tell you all the news because it's that. And the Bieber's actually slowly caught on that everyone hates that and doesn't trust it. And as they do things like newscasts, yes. you actually got to see a bit of personality from yes. sort of Koonsberg and Chris Mason, etc. And you realise, oh, they are human. They do make jokes like the rest of us. And I think that connects with people. Okay. It was really interesting what you were saying about the T V era. Mm. We are in a social media era and people want stuff to seem real and I do think it's harder to fake.
2: Yeah. Where's the way back from in American politics where you, know, you can say if, you know, from day one I had the biggest inauguration crowd of any president ever when the photographs yes. show you clearly didn't. Mm-hmm to there was no insurrection on january the 6th it was just people being boisterous or um, antifa
0: <laughs> <laughs> um, they haven't decided which one in the early
2: days of the pandemic it's not a pandemic yeah. it'll go away mm-hmm. don't you worry yeah. very soon america may well be governed but in the white house and in the house and in the senate mm-hmm. by a party who who propagates that what what's going to happen if that's the case when they have a kind of stranglehold on truth and lies?
0: Yeah, unfortunately, it's not going to be great. I don't have a, an optimistic take on that. My, my feeling is the only thing that's going to pull us back from this is starting to regulate the social platforms, which currently no regulation at all. They can do whatever they want. And as, we, as we've talked about, their incentives are to sow discord so that people fight each other and stay on the platform all day and all night. And so because of that, I mean, on the 2020 campaign we were allowed we didn't on the biden campaign but we were allowed to put anything on our ads they were not regulated if the, if someone said this is patently false facebook would say well it's free speech which is absolutely ridiculous because an ad that put is put on television that's regulated if it's patently false it has to be taken down but on social media they just keep hiding behind the free speech thing and so I think we're not going to really change that until we can actually get some regulations in place. But,
2: but how do you the, regulate? How do you regulate yeah. them if the legislature is exactly. governed by people who don't want to?
0: Yes, that's the problem, and they see a lot of actual personal incentives as well you know the Facebooks of the world and Google they get a lot of incentives for getting Republicans in power because they get tax cuts they make so much money if the Republicans are in power they love it and there's less regulation because the Republicans don't want to regulate so it ends up becoming they're all in bed with each other and we're screwed (laughs)
2: <laughs> I didn't promise this would be a bloke yeah. <laughs> But
1: how much, OK, this is an obvious question, but how much was it ever thus? You know, I can think of falsehoods that everyone accepts yes. in Britain. For example, Labour crashed the economy in 2008. You still hear that when you go around door knocking with politicians. People will repeat that yes. back to you. 1930s. you know. Tony Blair
4: shouldn't have uh, gone around selling all those
2: mortgages in <laughs> yeah, uh, Tennessee. Exactly,
1: in exactly. exactly. the
2: 30s, a- the mail had, there was it the of letters
4: or something just... A false letter saying yes. that you, you several of yes, the founding fathers yes. spread mm. fake newspapers yeah. in the UK that actually led to atrocities in America. They, they wanted Britain to pay reparations for the war on independence, and so they said that Brits had bribed Native Americans to do raids and kill, mm-hmm. like, people, people in American villages and commit these massacres. Now, these newspapers were fake editions, only circulated in Britain, but obviously some of them got back to America and then there were retaliatory massacres. Yeah. And this was Ben Franklin. So there was there's been kind of some atrocious things yes, people Yes, the disposition for... to do that was always there, but is it <laughs> yes. that the, the
2: means now to do it is just <laughs> so easy and so universal and so fast? So fast. And fast. Yeah. Yes. Yep. Because
0: I was on the Obama campaign in 2007. we I would go knock on doors and people would say, oh, I won't vote for him because he was born in Kenya. The classics. But that was – we definitely felt it was moving a lot slower. It was being talked about and probably on, you know, right-wing radio people were talking about it and that could move pretty quickly. But the way it was being spread mostly was through email chains, if we all harken back <laughs> to the day of the email chain and onto on to five people. And so – that was moving through kind of social circles in a very organic way and at a much slower pace. So we felt on that campaign we were able to counteract it and say to people, no, this isn't true for X, Y, and Z reason. And eventually he did win and he showed his birth certificate and it's horrible, but we were able to counteract that. But yeah, now I think the speed at which these things can happen, it's impossible. We we can't say. I
4: should say I don't agree it's technology. I think Mm -hmm. we will always point to a faster technology And see it propagating there and say, that's the issue. I think there are issues with it. I'm not. I would be an idiot if I said otherwise. But the social contract is breaking down. It's not working. Mm -hmm. Work doesn't pay. You can be in professions and you can't get a house. We haven't had a pay rise as collectively as a nation Mm -hmm. since 2007. People are doing everything right and not getting the, the living standards of their parents at their age and it's not just people on the breadline or people in the working class. It's actual the professional classes as well. And it's not just young people now. It's people in their 40s. And when the social order is breaking down young, and, the,
0: <laughs>
4: and the social yes. contracts breaking down, people yeah. get angry and polarised yes. and open to populist messages.
2: Which goes back to your earlier point that it's us. It's not the social media. It, it's us. We, there is a reason people vote. For extreme politicians, or are drawn towards yeah. extreme If, if society on the left and the right. starts
4: meeting the bargain, if the social yes. contract's upheld, people are less prone to the person shouting the bad thing. You're open to it when you go, well, hang on why isn't this working? I'm doing everything right mm. and I'm not getting it. That's where you start looking for the explanation and that's where
0: yeah. it's
4: well, the Jews, yeah. it's QAnon, it's whatever. That's where you're yeah. susceptible to that. But I
0: will say it's not even people are looking for it. That's the problem with technology. And But I agree yeah. it's not just technology. <laughs> if, so, if Facebook had never been invented in the Harvard dorms we would not be in a perfect utopia. But it's making it worse because people aren't even necessarily looking for it. They just log on and they say oh that's a cute dog and then all of a sudden QAnon is in their feed <laughs> and how did that yeah, happen? Yeah. There There was this really interesting study done where they just set up a fake Facebook account for some woman called Carol in North Carolina. And she was just, you know, a slightly conservative mother. And they just started clicking on stuff just randomly as someone might. And within five days, she was in QAnon groups. (laughs) Because that is the algorithm that is trying to force people to to this extremism. So yeah, I totally agree. It's not just technology, but it's not that people have to even go looking for it. They might be a bit upset in their lives and be upset about the social order breaking down, as I agree. But then it just appears in front of their faces. I think that's the big difference is they're not even going, I don't even know what you do, go to a chapter of a, me- a communist <laughs> party meeting back in the day or whatever. But now you can literally just sit in your home and it appears. You yes. get inundated without even knowing you're being inundated.
4: On the upside, though, we are going to have legs in virtual reality in 2023. <laughs> 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 so, you know, who's to say?
1: <laughs>
2: <laughs> One thing I, I was thinking, part of the reason we're doing these podcasts is that we're interested in the idea of getting people from uh, not just the standard political voices, but the, those involved in campaign and politics and the issues that are dominating the news today, to have a discussion. And that idea of bringing people together, not looking for an argument, but actually trying to exchange views. And it may be that we have to go back into schools and universities and encourage people to actually at least encounter people who have different views from their own Because otherwise, we end up in this situation where we're at today where it's either Tory scum or the anti-growth alliance. And there's nothing in the middle. People are being labelled as hostile if they have a different opinion from your own. So
4: the danger of pointing it to schools is, I mean, firstly, you're giving up on anyone over the age of 10, which is quite a long time for everything to go wrong still. But also, you've got an overextended education system and you're relying on a generalist teacher with maybe – Mm -hmm. An hour a week for one term a year. Where are the opportunities to to do something like that then? Generally, actually, I think the difficulty is often, and I, I speak as someone who works in the mainstream media, we want to keep doing what we've always done and we just want the public to enjoy it. Alternative voices grow up when the mainstream doesn't connect with people and doesn't talk to it. It's not that these are fighting. The sort of dodgy news sites and the extreme news sites are a symptom, not the disease. But actually, the media needs to go where people are. Politicians Mm. need to go where people are. And instead, what we're trying to do is stand on this sort of hill that's rapidly eroding away and go, why aren't you still here with us? (laughs) And so it's the humility to go, I think there is a habit for those of us at The Guardian or The New York Times or whatever to go, we're going to keep doing what we've always done, which mm-hmm. is right and good, and why isn't it, you silly person? It's a bit like the Remain yeah. argument that every Brexiteer was tricked. It's actually, no, they weren't, and you're a dick for saying <laughs> <it>. Sorry, <laughs> and you're a prat for saying yeah, No, no. So, uh, no, no. Yes. Dick you know, is acceptable. Yeah.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> I'm very glad. Yeah.
1: Uh, what about your solutions, May? My solution? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: yeah, so my number one, as I've said, is regulation. We just... Uh, It is just absolutely wild that these are the biggest media companies in the world and there's just um, almost no regulation. So they won't solve every problem, but they will help. Either just breaking them up. They're huge monopolies that just everyone gets their information from and they can do whatever they want. So even just breaking them up would be helpful. And having some types of rules about what can be said, especially in the advertisement side. Again, it's on television, so why can't we do it for politicians who are running for office? Why are they allowed to go on Facebook and say outright lies and not have any kind of consequences? So that's one side. But then as a campaigner, I definitely agree with what you're saying. Like, We need to be better at meeting people where they are and not just putting an op-ed in the New York Times. <laughs> that's not super effective. But I work on campaigns and they still think that's the end-all be-all. Right. we got the op-ed in the New York Times that's <laughs> gonna change, heart, change hearts and minds. But it's not going to Mm -hmm. so being more authentic as we've talked about being in the places where people are coming to them on their level and talking about things they care about there's so many things where you're trying to shove something down someone's throat and it's like they don't care about that we need to be effective and figuring out what people actually care about and addressing those needs and helping them as you've been saying making the social order come back together Mm -hmm. and then just personal things that we can all do is don't retweet stuff Don't respond to things. If you have to, take a screenshot and then post a brand new post because we are just feeding the algorithm this horrible mess of things that shows that the worst types of behaviors are rewarded. So that's something we can do.
2: Point very taken.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Something we can all do every day. Don't engage.
2: Good. don't engage that's the message
0: <laughs> switch this podcast <laughs> off
2: <laughs> after you've listened to this burn it that's no well after let's, let's end on, on those positive <laughs> points and those positive suggestions thank you very much I'm sure we could talk about this for hours oh happily and yes. indeed. <laughs> thanks
0: so much
1: both of you thank Great. you thank you interesting. They actually didn't agree with each other on everything, did they, about the sort of technology's role in our instinct to believe No, they didn't, but
2: they did agree that fundamentally we're doomed, I think. (laughs) I can't shake myself out of this deep despair about this whole business because how we reprogram ourselves to look more analytically at stuff and not to be like I give the example of myself so being caught up in a in, in in a fake news cycle. It's becoming second nature. It's something we don't even think about now. It's just part of our automatic responses to join in. Where there's a crowd yelling or screaming or laughing, we go and join in. And it's very difficult. I mean, I think what came across was whatever we do to try and stop it, like deregulate or regulating the social media, these are small steps that are very hard to achieve unless you have the political world behind you yeah and that is the problem
1: yeah and when you said join in i think it's something that we did touch on but we didn't go into in that much depth but there is a need for belonging and a need to have an identity isn't there among people that's right yes and that's probably because of part of what james was saying about the social contract breaking down we feel more isolated we don't feel like we're getting back what we deserve from society. Although it seems quite a grim solution that the only way to fix this is to fix the social contract.
2: Well, yes. Yes, that's a big fix.
1: <laughs> yeah. It's a big ask. Yeah. And it's not always the right government in power to do that.
2: No. And it's a long term thing. It's not something it could be done overnight or even in the next five to 10 years. It's, and I do also wonder whether with the fact that we are a bit more fragmented in that we do spend more time by ourselves on our screens. Mm. Strangely, it adds to that, that impulse to then try and search for something else that connects us with to other people and if it's on our screens we're finding these other people all massed in one group having a go at someone or cancelling someone or shouting at someone or just sharing a dog meme then we want to go and join it really for a bit of company right so anush what's on the agenda next week
1: Well, on the next episode we take a look at the b word brexit with two brothers on both sides of the debate to see if they can find anything to agree on You've been listening to Westminster Reimagined on the New Statesman podcast with me, Anoush Shakelian, and our special guest host, Armando Yanucci. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a review and don't forget to subscribe. You can watch video from this podcast on the New Statesman's YouTube channel and on the New Statesman website. This episode was produced by Adrian Bradley and May Robson. Our executive producer is Chris Stone.